only five minutes late. Well, so you can go all in. <laughs> you have my permission. <laughs> I know why you said that. Why did I say that? Well, good morning, everybody. Apologize for the late start. We're not used to having a full functioning, everything's working the way we think it ought to, but we don't know how to make that happen yet. And uh, we'll get back into it. Anyway, let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts for uh, worship this hour by going before the throne of grace and prayer. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace in dealing with your creatures. And the most important, the most marvelous, wonderful manifestation of that grace is the free gift of your Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who became flesh who went to the cross and paid the penalty for the sins of all mankind so that we were free from that penalty. And we do nothing, we bring nothing to the table but to believe. If we believe the simple words of the gospel, Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, then I have eternal life. And I know that when this phase is done, the next phase is glory and more wonderful than anything that we can comprehend with our little human minds. So thank you, Father, for that gracious gift that you've given us. Thank you for this beautiful early summer day that you've given us. Thank you for the freedom that we still enjoy where we can go to a place of our choosing at a time of our choosing and worship in a manner of our choosing which aligns with your requirements for us. That we approach you and your word, Father, on your terms. And so we are here today to do just exactly that, to sing praises to your name, to come before your throne of grace and praise you and thank you, make known to you, make known to one another what you already know, our prayers and supplications, and to study your word, apply it in our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit so we are adequately prepared for the work you have given us to do in the fulfillment of the mission to make disciples. We ask your blessing on our time together, Father. We pray that we can set aside all the distractions, all the thoughts about what happened earlier this morning, what's happening beside me right now, what I'm going to do this afternoon, what am I going to have for lunch. Put all that aside and focus 
on the teaching of the Word. We ask your blessing on our time together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Birthdays. We have birthdays this week. Happy birthday to St. Anna, Pierre Paul, Heather Thibault, Kyle Lundy, Barry Bierce, and Justin Dyer. Where'd Justin go? Right there. Hi, Justin. Happy birthday. We have no anniversaries in our household of households this week. And uh, that's it for the birthdays. We're moving on. I want to uh, invite your attention to the upcoming events and save the dates. That's way back near the back of the bulletin. If, uh, if you get the electronic, if you don't get the electronic bulletin, you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, probably. And if you don't get the electronic bulletin, I will say for the I don't keep count time, it's because I don't have your email address. If, as soon as I have your email address, I will put that into the system and you will start getting the uh, bulletin every Sunday morning at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time. So what do we got in there this week? Va Vacation Bible School Preparation Workshop. That's right after this hour of service and it runs until we're done. And uh, we're going to provide lunch if you show up for the workshop. Now, if you show up for the workshop and you don't work, well, there's going to be a biblical application there. You're not going to get fed. <laughs> deacons meeting. TBD means to be determined. There will be no deacons meeting in June. June got away from us and life and events got in the way and so we will set that aside for this month and we'll get together sometime in July when we figure out how that can happen. Here's one. Beachwood Outreach Ministry. Today, 2 p.m. What? Beachwood Outreach Ministry today, 2 p.m. We haven't been able to say those words for well over a year. We've talked about Beachwood. We say pray for those folks. We send them a card or a letter and all that stuff, but we couldn't get in the door. Well, today we can for the first time since the uh, Chinese virus descended upon us back early in 2020. Beachwood, today, 2 p.m. Mark, have you got help? Excellent. Anybody, anybody else wants to participate in that ministry? See Mark. Good-looking young man back here in the middle in the blue shirt. Put your hand up, Mark. Got you. Yeah, okay. All right. Talk to Mark, and he will tell you what you need to do. We're still looking for church cleaners, volunteers to help keep this meeting house that God has given us clean and presentable. We can always use volunteers there. <coughs> Excuse me. Vacation Bible School coming up fast, July the 12th to the 16th. What we're working on today is finishing up the set and some other ancillary things. What we'll be starting working on as soon as we know the schedule for the rehearsals is rehearsal for the skit. Yeah, we're a little bit behind on that, but we'll catch up. It'll be fun. And uh, we still need two key assistants. We need a games assistant. We have someone in charge of that, but we need an able-bodied assistant. Should be someone in reasonably good physical condition that can keep up with all range and age of kids out there on the playing field, so that's not me. And uh, so somebody a little younger, like 
I won't, I won't call anybody. All right. Just, uh, you know who you are. And an AV, we need an AV person. AV, audio visual. And the person does something for about 15 minutes at the close of the session every day, Monday through Friday. And they operate the, the audio sound effects that go with the skit. And in many cases, they help make the skit. They're very important, these sound effects. Knowing what they are and when they're to come in. And we need a person to set up in the media room and do that. And that is, it's not a low skill job, but it does require some minimal training. But it could be done by someone of my decrepit nature. And I'm not volunteering. I think I may be in the skit. I don't know yet. Oh, I just I just found out I'm in the skit. All right, we got to move on. Next, okay. Oh, oh, oh! One more important thing: register now for VBS. You can do that online. PrestonCityBible.org/vbs. It pops up in front of you, and fill it out. Sign up. There is no fee for Vacation Bible School. I repeat, there is no fee for Vacation Bible School, and Free T-shirts this year, T-shirts. But you gotta register and come, sign up. You know, you can't. I won't mail you a T-shirt. You have to come and get it. Next cookout. Next cookout we have will be Sunday, July the 18th. So that strategically follows. That's the that's the Sunday right after VBS is over with. We've had a week all together. We take Saturday off, and then Sunday we have church, and that Sunday afternoon we'll have a big cookout out in the backyard, and that's what we'll do in July. Then in August it'll be the church picnic. Camperete, we know that's virtual this year. Uh, Sunday school, second hour is as uh, it has been. Tom Tanucci teaching the older kids, Lauren and Annie uh, teaching the younger ones, and that I think is all I have to say. We are going to now make a beautiful noise. We're going to sing together. So grab your hymnals and look in. It's it's either going to be in the back cover or in the front cover. We have some we have some hymns pasted in there, uh, and. Uh, the one we're going to sing today is called Soldiers of Christ Arise. Soldiers of Christ Arise. Everybody find it? Everybody stand? Yeah, even the kids. And uh, if you're not familiar, this is the, to the tune of Crown Him with Many Crowns. So we'll take it away.
Joseph now, if I can figure out what the second hymn will be, hymn number three, two, five. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Make sure you get 325, not 326 or 327. They have the same name. They're slightly different. 325. Are called. Hey, Justin, do you have a birthday this week? Wh- what day is it? The third of July. And how old are you going to be? Four years old. You're a big boy. Four years old. Does everybody remember their birthday? What's, what day is your birthday? August 22nd. What year? Say it, every year. 2012. I have one of those too. Yeah. Yes, ma'am? Uh, my birthday is also August 22nd. August. 
Really? 2013. Oh, 2013. But you're not related. No. Oh. Got, I got it. I got it. What's, what's yours? April 30th. April 30th? You, that's right. We just celebrated your birthday a couple months ago. That's right. Yeah, what's your birthday? June 6th. June 6th. That's a historic day. That's a big, do you know what else that day is? That's D-Day. That's D-Day that we started beating the Nazis. That's a, that's a great historic birthday. Our, our anniversary, my anniversary is on J- uh, July 14th, which tragically is the same day as they stormed the Bastille and started the French Revolution. <laughs> historic blunder, catastrophic uh, beginning of all the communist revolutions and anarchy of the 20th century later. But any, anyway, yeah, yeah, I don't want to hear about that. Um, yeah, yes, ma'am. You're six? What, you, what, what day is your birthday? It already started. And, and the party goes on. That's right. Now, everybody listen to me real quick. Yes, ma'am. June 15th, right, right. Yes. Isn't it interesting that everybody knows your birthday? We all know what day we're born on. Now, I believe that birthday is, your, is like Mother's Day, if you think about it. The day you were born was the day you were born. And we're so glad you're all here, every one of you. It's a special day. And you know, everybody that loves you celebrates your birthday. We all say what? It's mutual. We we say happy birthday when when it's our birthday, right? Happy birthday this week. Did you know that I have two birthdays? I have two birthdays. Ever heard of that? The day that I was born, my birthday is September 28th, a long, long time ago. That's the same day as William the Conqueror set foot on England to take over uh, England for the French. Very strange thing in 1066. A lot of other things happen on September 28th. But you know, my birthday that I was born in 1976, the year they made the special quarters, (laughs) my birthday was my first birthday. Did, did you know that I had a second birthday? Because the, because the, you, did, you, got, you too, huh? Because the Lord Jesus says in John chapter 3, do you know what he says to Nicodemus? He says, you must be born again. Jesus said you have to be born a second time. Because God gets you as his son or daughter when you first believe in Christ. Did you know you get a second birthday when you first trust in Jesus? It's called the new birth, and it's your second birthday. Now, most people don't know what day that they first believed in Jesus as their Savior. I don't know what day I did. Loring, Mr. Boyden knows. You've got your card. What day was it? June 10th, 1967. Mr. Boyden had his second birthday because what did he do? He trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior. He said, like I can say, like I pray every one of you can say, he said Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. Every sin that I've ever committed was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And I trust in him for my forgiveness. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. Did you know that when you first trust in Jesus, that's when, just like Jesus told Nicodemus, that's when you're born again. Your second birthday. Do you have two birthdays? Do you have two birthdays? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Because the very minute you did, it's your second birthday. The very second. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. 
Mom and dad, help me out with that later. Let's pray for our young people. Some of them have that second birth. And it may be that some don't. God knows. And mom and dad, I'm going to disciple them a little. You're going to disciple them a lot. We're here to learn to do that. Let's be agents in that and disciple our children. Father, we love you. We bless you and praise you for these young people. We take it to heart that the children are an inheritance from the Lord. And they're given to us so that we will direct them to you. Father, help every one of these little children come to know you as Heavenly Father because of the new birth, because they've trusted in Jesus as their Savior, and you've gotten them as your spiritual children, as born-again ones who have eternal life and an eternal relationship with you. We pray for them, Father. Strengthen them. Help mom and dad disciple them and train them to fear you, to love you, to serve you. We ask it, and we all said, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, all the young people, let's stand. and head on downstairs. Remember, now is time for silence until you get downstairs. Everyone take note of Aaron up in the booth tonight, today. Doing great work, doing God's work. How are we doing up there, Aaron? The equipment was updating and failing us first hour, but not today, not second hour. Hope. That's a lot of kids. It's a lot of ministry opportunity. If you're interested in serving, I, I hear people every once in a while say, I want to I serve. I'm not sure how to serve. There's lots of opportunity to serve downstairs. <clears throat> children's ministry is always a little church like this understand children's ministry is always in flux we want to have a consistent presentation every sunday you know in a, in a series but you always get a different group of kids because somebody's sick or somebody didn't make it or they're on vacation or whatever but if you just look at the gaggle at the crew that god has given us we could easily divide what we have going on downstairs two or three times into smaller groups for teaching and i'm i'm of the opinion Lauren can, can better inform you about this, but I have an opinion that it's time to do that, at least for second hour. Am I right? Right. I got an amen from the teachers. So uh, we are always hunting up people that can say they're believers in Christ, that can agree with what our doctrinal statement says, because that's who teaches, the people that are aligned with our doctrinal statement, and therefore join our church. We're looking for people to, to help us in the disciple-making ministry in this church, and this is the way we think about it. You're not signing on for life. You're signing on for a semester, for, a, for, for three months or a quarter. You're signing on for a short time, and we don't want anyone to ever get burned out. But also, uh, we're going to disciple the children here a little. We're going to take care of them and teach them, and especially teach them. And by the way, we're going to teach them while I'm teaching up here, equipping you, moms and dads, to go home and teach them. And this is, to, I really think this, that the, the, the ministry of the gospel is train the trainer. It is always train the trainer, we call it in the army. It is the training ground where you get trained so you can go train. Whoever God puts in your path. And you say, ah, oh, I'm, not, I'm not somebody that's going to go teach anyone anything. Stand by, you read Hebrews chapter 5, you should all be teachers by now. You have someone in your life, I believe, probably right now, that if you didn't think of it as get in the pulpit and teach them, but just 
Come alongside them, ask the right questions, engage in the conversation. You could probably show someone a whole world of eternal life in bearing witness for Jesus Christ. And I just, it's on, it's on my mind right now. I just want to say, you don't have to come up with a speech that you want to prepare beforehand to tell someone about Jesus. But if, if you're wondering, how do I get started? When the army will learn to march by taking your left foot forward and you take a step. And everything after that was just a follow-on. Just figure out how to, if everyone starts on the same foot, then we can get this right. Someone calls cadence and we can march. We can all march theoretically in step. Isn't that nice? So we're going we're gonna to do this. How, do, how can I get started? Well, you know, just think of it as step off on your left foot and say, I believe. I, we can all say it. It's a simple sentence. It's actually a complete sentence in English. I believe. I believe. Now, I don't believe in just the universe. I don't just believe in good things. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe Jesus came to save us from our sins. I believe Jesus is coming back. But just bear witness. That is testifying. I believe that we have a Savior who not only created us, but became one of us to die for our sins on the cross. You can say that. You can say that. And you can say, well, it kind of weakens it to say, I believe. Well, I agree. I mean, the truth is that whether you believe it or not, Jesus, your creator, came into the human race to pay for your sins on the cross. He came to die for your sins and he rose again. And I believe it's true, but that doesn't make it true. It just is that way. Now, I'm not speaking from authority as though I'm the source of that authority, but I am speaking on the basis of the absolute conviction that everything God's Word says from Genesis to Revelation is true, pointing to the Savior. You can point to the Savior. Again, start with I believe. If your convictions aren't strong enough to say, here's how it is, because you're worried that, that that'll be perceived as your, your, your position of authority, okay, just say you believe. But you can bear witness for Jesus Christ and believe it or not. There are people in your life, there are probably people in your life that if you said to them, I believe, that Jesus didn't just die for me. He died for your sins too and he wants you to trust him. If you, there are people in your life that would be shocked that you said that to them. They would probably scoff. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. <laughs> they would probably scoff at you saying that. And then, and then, you will never, you won't, in some cases, you won't know for 20 years that that person staring at the ceiling under their covers, wondering about death and what is this all going and is this all there is, that witness you bore in their lives is going to bear fruit. You, you, you don't know when it's going to, but it is going to. And don't worry about their response. That's not your job. You don't need to get a response from them. You need to bear witness to them. Now, when I say don't worry about their response, I don't mean you're not interrelated. Or I, I just mean if they don't receive it, it's okay. You certainly want to be polite and gentle and kind with them, but please bear witness. I'm trying to encourage you as a minister of the gospel because I believe that's what you are. I believe you've been given a spiritual gift according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, and that gift is to equip you to love one another and all as 1 Thessalonians 3 says, to love one another in all. Your spiritual gift is a special capacity God has given you to love. To love the unbeliever with the gospel and to love the believer with the word and be part of God's mission. 
And so we're in a very easy preaching section in 1 Timothy 6 where it's pretty straightforward what Paul is talking about when he's telling Timothy to flee from the sins that flow from the arrogant rejection of God's word and to run toward the spiritual life, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And I read the passage in the New American Standard last hour, so now I'd like to dig down with you a little bit. When Paul says to Timothy, run away from sin and speculation and and, and, and run toward basically the word of God and the fruit the spirit of God bears in your life with the word. Run toward. He says, now you, O man of God, flee, that's the command, these things. Flee the sins and the patterns of sin that we just described. Which remember, arrogance rejects God's word and says, but I thought. The culture knows a lot of things that aren't true because the world has infected it. And the word of God stands against the culture and says, this is how it is. That's chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and then 3 through 10. That's what's going on. And so what happens is people in their human sinful arrogance reject God's word and then pursue wealth because they're not going to serve God. They're going to serve self, and money is the obvious way to serve self. And so Paul has gone this whole discussion about those that are fixated, focused on wealth. And listen, don't hear me saying that the rich are the, 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 the people pursuing wealth. It's not just the rich. I was once talking to a believer that was really struggling. He said, I'm just so tired of being poor. Just sick of it. Sick of being poor. And I, I said, well, okay. I, I hear you. What is that? What's that like? What do you mean? And the person went on to describe the, the things that they were tired about being poor. But, but as the list was being generated, I noted, and I think about this, there was nothing that would prevent such a person from being in the word, being rich in faith, from growing in the word, from accruing eternal riches and doing the work of God. There was nothing. It was all lifestyle things. It wasn't health care, it wasn't. It was just lifestyle concerns. And that's all, see, that's what I mean. We will pursue wealth and just our comfort and our circumstance now as I called it last time, your temporal mission context. We will run after that instead of running after the mission that wherever you are in your context. And that's the worldview Paul is insisting on when he tells Timothy, flee from these worldly concerns that are really the product of your sin nature. Flee from these things and pursue. Run after. Just as sure as you're running away from sin, you're running toward these things, the spiritual life, righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, long-suffering, and gentleness or humility. This is a list just like Galatians 5, 23. And I mentioned last hour what I think is the most important thing I said last hour, that that word pursue is very important. He doesn't say passively accomplish these by taking in the word and the Holy Spirit, making it so in your soul. He doesn't say it's just going to happen to you as the Holy Spirit grabs you by the spiritual crane and pulls you off the spiritual couch and puts you into his work. He says, run after these things. You have to learn it. You have to choose it. And then you have to do it. And that's the Christian spiritual life. It is not God working contrary to you and your, your desires. It's God facilitating in you the desires he wants you to have. And then equipping you with the ability to do the things he wants you to do and then you and I we have to do it it's a partnership and it's not passive it's run after it 
But I, it's hard. I have brothers that will say, see, there David goes preaching works, not grace. Well, beloved, it's the grace of God that you know that God wants you to run after these things. It's the grace of God that you know the way you get to righteousness in your practical experience, the way you live a godly life, the way you engage in the faith that produces faithfulness, the way you love as Christ commands you is you choose it and you do it and the power God gives you. Now, it's always in dependence on God, but you have to choose it. You have to run after it. And so we're active, we're aggressive. The Word of God is alive and powerful, active and aggressive. And it works in us. And there is no spirituality without God's Word, and there is no spirituality with God's Word without the Holy Spirit working it in us. But believers, you have to, according to the Spirit of God, you have to run after these things. You have to actively engage. So we set conditions in our lives. Where I see there's going to be tumult and problems and strife, I'm not getting involved. Where I see, and, and Paul said you can identify the problem. It's the troublemakers in leadership who have rejected the word of God. That's it. Go to that. That's the problem. But you reject and you run away from these sins that grow in the group out of this rejection of God's word, out of this arrogance. It's hard work, the Christian life, that the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do. Can I illustrate what I'm talking about with my son? Do you mind if I use an illustration real quick? You don't mind? Come on. Thanks. Demonstrator pose here. Stand up straight. I, I better never slouch, huh? All right. So my, my posture has improved incredibly the last three, four months. Because <laughs> you're going to be taller than me. Um, Samuel, could you please sweep the floor? Probably. But just sweep the floor. Thanks. Go ahead. Do you, do you need some help sweeping the floor? Uh, I could use a broom. Ah, thank you. Sit down. Good work. You can't sweep the floor unless you have a broom. And so it's not fair for me to tell him to sweep the floor and not provide the broom for him to do it. That's how the spiritual life really is. God has told you what he wants. He doesn't say, do these things, and then you can't. He says, do these things, and in God's grace, by the power of his spirit, you can do them because you have the spirit of God in you. He doesn't tell you to make disciples and then, well, I'm nobody, I can't. Yeah, you are. You're nobody except for Christ in you and he's everybody. So just trust him. Walk by faith and do what he's asked you to do. So, see, I would be a very bad leader if I said sweep the floor and I didn't provide you a broom. I would be Pharaoh telling you to make bricks without straw. And we would all watch you very diligently as a hardworking son trying to please your father, sweeping with your hand along the floor. And I would be a fool for wasting your resources that way. See, God doesn't do that. He tells you what he wants. He says, go for it. And then you have what you need to do it. But you have to trust him. You have to trust that his power, his grace is sufficient. You have to step out always, not just one moment in your life, but always on faith. When the choice is love and it seems like it's going to cost me something, I'm going to have to sacrifice to do the loving thing here. Stand back and watch the deliverance of the Lord. Do the loving thing. Do what you know God wants you to do as a representative of his son. Do the loving thing as a sacrifice and watch and see what God does with it. This is what we're saying. You do what God says, but you do it in faith. And you run after these things.
No, we're not passive Christians. The word, the message that I'm going to preach to you doesn't just happen in my head because I, you know, stuff just occurs to me. This is work. And the reason I'm talking about the activeness of Christianity is because my finger's in the text and I've got these awesome commands, run away from this, but run toward this. It's active. It's aggressive. Fight the good fight of the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. Does the apostle Paul say that the spiritual life is passive or active? If you never sign up to enter the, the arena, I promise you'll never have to fight in the, in the arena. <laughs> right? You, you, you will miss every race that you don't sign up for and show up for. Now, here's the interesting thing. You are in the arena. The fight is there. What are you doing about it? That's Hebrews chapter 12. Run the race that passive voice has been set before you. Run the race that God, in other words, has placed you in. You're in your, your running gear. The pistol has gone off. You're in the race. Whether you feel like running or not, the writer of Hebrews says, run the race. Same idea here. Fight the good fight of the faith. Now, beloved, it's a great summary. It's a great theme for your Christian life. And it is a command of Scripture. In fact, I believe this is the command that Paul is going to refer to. When I read through last hour in a, just a cursory fast reading of the passage, a question mark occurred over my head that no one could see, but I felt. It was, what is the command? I, I, I command you. Verse 14, verse 13, I charge you in the presence of God, verse 14, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach. What commandment is he telling him to keep? It's this one. Fight the fight. Stay engaged. But if I fight the good fight, if I stay engaged, if, this means there's conflict. This means there's pain involved. As my boxing coach at West Point once said, that sounds a lot more uh, uh, illustrious than it is for me to say my boxing coach at West Point. That sounds like some sort of like, you know, elite thing. If you had seen it, you would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> when you see cadets after you've been one for a while, you thought it was something special and you see them and they're a bunch of little babies because they're 18 to 22. It's very humbling. All right, so my boxing coach at West Point had this awesome thing he once said. He said, Men, if you want to give, you must be willing to receive. Get it? If you want to give, you must be willing to receive. And I'm, I'm convinced the boxing training there is primarily just to show you that you can take a punch in the face and you can recover. You, it hurts, but it, I mean, it hurts more later than in the moment. You know, learn to take a punch. I learned to take a lot of punches in boxing class. I have a, I have a great story about boxing class. I'd love to tell you sometime. It's not necessarily the illustration for the moment, but it is good to tell you that if you want to give, you must be willing to receive. That means if you're going to devote or commit all your energy and resources of a right cross, that's the, that's the knockout punch. I'm right-handed. And so you start with your thigh, your body, with your, with actually in the, the ball of your foot, and you start twisting, and you throw all your weight in this, in this cross punch that is not the jab, the easy just, just get out there, but, but the full cross that knocks the person down. If you're willing to get out there and give that, you have to understand that there is very likely a hook coming or, or something that if, if you miss it, you're going down because you've committed yourself, you're off balance and your chin is just hanging out there. So uh, 
you throw one cross for every 15 jabs or something. But, but if you're willing to, if you, if you want to give, you must be willing to receive. And that's the hard thing about, about going up to a fight is that you're going to get hit. You're going to hurt. We don't want to hurt. So we avoid fighting. I'm a lover, not a fighter, right? This is, this is <laughs> wave the chicken foot flag, okay? I don't want to fight, right? Well, it turns out if you're a lover, you will fight. Sometimes you'll fight because you love. In fact, that's the best reason to fight. So when he says fight the good fight of the faith, I just want you to grab onto this, that it's a challenge. It's a hard thing. The Christian walk, the, the apostles' portrayal of the life lived in Christ is totally graced out, empowered by the Spirit of God. But it often involves great risk and great suffering. For me to say, beloved Preston City Bible Church, we must be on mission because it's why we're here. The reason you're still here in this life and not in the presence of God is because, as Paul says to the Philippians, you have work to do. You have work still in this life. And part of it is striving against the flesh. And part of it it is making disciples. This life of service to God loving him, praising him, living for his glory is going to hurt. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning of verse 30, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas, the king who was guarding the city of the Damascenes, the Damascenes in order to seize me. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me, and I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. Excuse me, I, I started in the wrong place. It was. In verse 24, Paul talks about his suffering. Verse 23, if, if these people that are teaching you are servants of Christ, I speak as if insane, I am more so a servant of Christ. I just want you to hear what it sounds like to be a servant of Christ. In far more labors, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, that means hit with rocks until uh, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent in the deep. No doubt, uh, like in the lion's den, where God and the, where the angel of the Lord is keeping the lions at bay, the sharks are not nibbling at Paul's toes as he's a night and a day in the deep. You don't want to be shipwrecked and, and spend a night in the water. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, from robbers, from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among the false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from these external things, there is a daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. That one really gets you. Paul is burdened with concern for the churches. He doesn't get a break. It's on his mind. It's on his heart. Well, shouldn't he just rest in the Lord? Resting in the Lord has put him in this work where he feels responsible. So he has a burden to carry through this life. That's why he thinks he's here. Who is weak without my being weak? Who's led into sin without my intense concern? (coughs) 
And then he talks about how he's let out the window through the basket. Fight the good fight. Paul did it. He tells us in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I've run my race. There's a laid up for me a crown of righteousness because I've done the work. And so what I'm trying to portray for you, what grabs me as I work through this passage, is what our lives should be like. Like the Apostle Paul, we should be able to say at the conclusion of our lives, we fought the good fight. We've run the race. And it's a spiritual making disciples work. That's what it is. This is not I uh, overcame (coughs) um, corporate oppression or I marched for this cause or the things that we're worried about that rearrange the furniture of society or this life. It's not that. It's within whatever structure you're in making disciples to know Jesus Christ, to serve him who are witnessing for Christ with others. Remember that message. The Apostle Paul in his second letter that we have from him, 1 Thessalonians, this young church, the conclusion of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the apostle says that he is amazed. Not like with the Galatians where they are, uh, they are turning from the word, but he's amazed at the effectiveness of their witness, this group of young Christians, their witness. The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, two states that they're in, But also in every place, your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Wherever I go, I hear about the witness for Christ of the Thessalonian believers, those in Thessaloniki. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. That doesn't mean that we're going through the coming wrath. That means he's rescuing us from the coming wrath. Beloved, tribulations for the earth dwellers, not those whose, whose, earth, whose, heaven is, whose home is heaven. But listen to what, what Paul is saying. I was only able to minister to you Thessalonians for a little while, but you're so on mission that the message is saturating Macedonia and Achaia. That's what we're saying. That's the Christian life. That's the effectiveness of it. And so it's a fight. Beloved, what do you have to fight to be on mission? What do you have to fight to fight the fight? What do you have? To, you got to deal with you. Your hangups, you wake up in the morning, it's about you. You have to recover from that mis- misapprehension. Maybe sometimes, maybe a lot of times you wake up in the morning and you're praying. You're thinking, God, Father, it's about you. Th- those are the good days. Remember the 70s and 80s um, country singer, Don Williams, the gentle giant? I've recently rediscovered Don Williams. Boy, are y'all in trouble. He had a song, Lord, I Hope This Day Is Good. Have you ever heard that song? It's a great song. It's so real. It's so like, that's how we are too. Lord, I know I'm supposed to be thankful and everything, but I just hope the day is good. <laughs> you got to deal with the vicissitudes of life. You got to fight your worries, your anxieties, your fears, your awkwardness, all the things that you struggle with about you. You also have to deal with the patterns that you've developed with others around you that aren't necessarily uh, righteous. You've got to deal with your tongue. You've got to deal with your focus. You've got to deal with the job. You have to deal with your tendencies towards not being on mission. You've got to deal with you, but then you also have to deal with the opposition you'll get for being on mission. Boy, is it easy not to be on mission. But it's, a such, it's such a waste of life. 
So Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. Now, pastor, this is Paul teaching Timothy to be a pastor. You're putting this on us, but it should be on Timothy. Well, the problem with that thinking is that Timothy and Titus are to be examples to the flock. We're not the church, and you come to the church, get the wafer, and now you're good. We all are the church. I mean, the pastors of the church. We're the church. And I am equipping you, according to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, to do the work. You're supposed to be being built up in your faith to do the work of ministry, whatever work God has for you to do. So I think that a properly balanced approach to a Sunday morning service should include a portrayal, an encouragement to do the work. But I'll just read the passage today. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life unto which you're called and confess the good confession before many witnesses, either when Timothy was baptized early on or, or when Timothy was ordained, as Paul has already described, when he was prophesied over and they laid hands on him. I think that's what he's talking about when Timothy was ordained to the gospel ministry. So this is specific to a pastoral guy. I mean, there is specific, but there's an application for you. You charge the pastor with this, but beloved, the pastor's supposed to be an example for you to do the work so we can all be charged. Then Paul will call on two witnesses. I command you, Timothy, Parangelo, doesn't mean to uh, make a suggestion, or I tenderly hope you might consider, he says, I command you before God, the maker of all the living, and Christ Jesus, who testified to Pontius Pilate the good confession, who martyreo the homologia, who testified or bore witness to the beautiful, the good confession, I command you before God and before Christ Jesus. So they're like witnesses. This is a very Hebraic way of saying, you know, Isaiah calls on heaven and earth as witnesses in his prophecy in Isaiah 1. This is a very common thing you get in the scriptures. Paul is calling on the Father and the Son before I'm testifying before them with Jesus as a prior testifier that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach. That you keep the commandment. I command you that you keep the commandment is the sentence. That's really the Greek sentence. What's the commandment? Thankfully, it's alliterative. Fight the good fight. That's the commandment. Take that with you. If you feel like a spectator, you're probably not fighting the good fight. If you feel like things are going um, uh, very easy in my life and I have everything that I want and, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just living my life and it's about me, if that's how your life is, you're probably not fighting the good fight. And I'm, beloved, I'm not telling you you've got to be let out of the window in a basket to know that you're fighting the good fight. I'm saying that if, if it's about me, then I'm, I'm off in the Thule somewhere. I'm not on mission. I've taken a, a, a detour. I've taken a wrong turn, and I'm spinning my wheels. I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my life. But wait a second. Wait, wait. You're saying we're supposed to live our lives for God. But that seems like such a waste. Because I want to live for me. I want to I have my time, my things, my fun. And I, I think we all feel that way sometimes, Some, maybe a lot of times. Maybe that's the only feeling you know. But I think you found your sin nature, that you really have found the urge, the tendency you have in your flesh to oppose God, to, to say no to him. And here's how it looks, beloved. We say, there's what God wants. 
and there's what Satan wants. And I'm not going to serve Satan, but I'm just going to kind of do my thing over here in the middle. I'm going to live in that gray zone. The thing is, there's no gray zone. There's God and anything alternative, anything else. So saying no to God is tantamount to saying yes to his enemy. I'm not opposed to him. I'm just, you know, not. No, that's that's opposition. Because God wants you for himself. Because he brooks no competition. Because we will become idolaters. We, we have it in us to be idolaters, but we're sophisticated. And the idol is us, is ourselves, our pleasure. The sophistication of the ancients was to take pleasure and make it deified. And then engage in the phallic cult and the things that people took as pleasure in a way that could have religious trappings. In the time in which you live in this post-Christian culture... It doesn't do that. We don't do that. We're sophisticated. We're far more sophisticated. We don't deify pleasure. We just pursue it because we have bought the lie that we're just animals. That our urges are legitimate urges no matter what they are or how we express them. Popular morality in a Darwinistic frame is going to go to the horrors of wantonness and sin. And that's what you see as your culture. By the way, popular morality following Darwin will look like the culture is looking today. What am I saying? If we're just animals and we have instinctual urges and those are legitimate just because we're animals and who's to say there is no morality, slut-shaming, whatever, then, then the, anything goes, just whatever you want. The only problem that we could see would be someone like me saying anything was wrong. Where do we draw the line morally? Well, we'll draw it at marriage. No, nope, we're not going to draw it at marriage. Now polygamy is coming back. What's wrong with that? People will just be free to do whatever they want, except that it's self-destructive and it goes against God's design. Well, what, what about, um, but we're not yet destroying children the way the pagans always did with attacking boys, the men attacking the boys and the, the pagan Greek cultures and the universally homosexual Spartans, we're not there yet. Are we not? Is that not next? I'm not a prophet. I'm just watching the culture. It's wrong to say that, that, that if it's wrong to say any sexual urge is wrong, then it's wrong to say that is wrong. Oh, no, no, no. No, that, that, if we find that on someone's computer, they're going to jail. Good. But that's, that's got a time limit. That's going to go away. Don't be distracted. I'm just saying... The, the culture can't decide your morality. And if you're going to fight the good fight, you're going to have to start with the word and you have to believe it. And then you're going to have to let it speak to the culture and say the problem that you're facing here, people, is that God's way of happiness in life is a man and a woman. That's it. But there's plenty in the word of God that says how that can be an unhappy arrangement. And it is because you've got two sinful, unhappy people dealing with each other. And the only redemption for that is the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we teach biblical marriage or Christian marriage, we start with be filled by the Spirit before we get to husbands love your wives and wives submit to your husbands. It's a spiritual thing. And, and the alternative is Ecclesiastes, life under the sun. How long does Timothy have to fight the good fight? without stain or reproach, without getting into distraction, 
without bringing dishonor on his office. How long does Timothy have to do this? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Retirement. We get tired. We need a break. Take one every seven. Take a break. That's how you sustain this life. As you take breaks, as God provides them along the way. But we're all going to be Caleb, aren't we? We're all going to be just like Timothy, just like Paul says. You're in the, in the fight until the end. I don't mean going to work and paying for your mortgage. I don't mean that. I mean the life that God has called you to of work for him. It never stops. One of our heroes, I believe, spoke here, Ralph Braun. Was he a speaker here at times with, uh, with Ron? He trained Ron McMurray. Ralph Braun. Associate of my pastor. I never studied under Ralph, but I studied under the pastor that he studied with, Bob Thiem. Ralph, last time I heard him speak, I think it was something like 10 years ago at the dedication of Austin Bible Church and they built their new building. Ralph talked about how in his 80s, he was teaching six days a week, sometimes twice. Very rarely in a pulpit. He was saying, look, he was talking to pastors mostly, but he said, you don't have to have a, you know, a deep exegetical message every time you teach. You know so much theology, so much doctrine, you know so much of the word. Most people don't know anything about it. I do a Bible study in a cafe two or three times a week. I just have my Bible and I just go through it with people and witness for Christ and tell them, you know, some of the basics of the Christian life, teaching the Bible. Just do it. Just, just teach. Just See, Ralph, Ralph is, is teaching more now probably than he ever has. Now, he's got a life, a career of doing what I'm doing right now. As a career of this, and at 14 years in, I can tell you, the uh, quiver's full of things to say. <laughs> I'm going to have to get, uh, hire somebody to carry the quiver around as the quiver gets bigger of things to say because we're studying constantly. But that you keep the commandment of fight the good fight without saying a reproach never has an end until Jesus comes. Now notice the way we're thinking. We're not thinking about till I can finally die and be free of this, this burden. No, until Jesus appears. So it could be while you're in the work, he comes for you. Or it could be that you die and meet him and then he comes back and gets the church. But the point is that that's where you're thinking. I'm, I'm doing this until the Lord comes back. I'm doing this toward the Lord coming back. Not that I'm making him come back by making disciples. I've heard that. That's a mistake people make. That if we preach to all the nations, then Jesus has to come back. That's a gross misunderstanding of the Great Commission passages. That's not what it means. Jesus is going to come back when the Father sends him, and it won't be because you preach to the people in Maldives or whatever, or North Korea. Although they desperately need the gospel. What he's saying is that your focus, your, your eschatological goal is the appearing of Christ. You're working toward that. You're living your life like he's coming. See, and, and that means you've got to separate from the culture a little bit in your heart. You have to say their goals, their desires, their end state, they're waiting for the next four years. The culture around you is like is trying to you know, see what, what the next political cycle does or whatever. You've got to dis- distance yourself enough to be able to have the coming of Christ as your hope that's it that's where everything gets fixed no matter who gets elected 
in whatever circumstance, whatever country you live in. Until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which in His own time, He will indicate. I believe now we're talking about God the Father. When will the Lord Jesus come? When He will indicate the blissful and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Wait a second. In uh, Revelation 6, the Lamb is the King of kings and Lord of lords. I believe verse 15 and 16 is about God the Father, the planner, the designer, Jesus the executor, the spirit, the, the silent partner, if you will, the one working behind the scenes from creation through the end of, end of eternity. Now, as Trinitarians, we're putting honor and focus on God the Father, and Jesus is executing his plan. In his own time, he, that's the Father, will indicate the blissful and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only one possessing immortality, the light of whose dwelling is unapproachable, whom no man has seen, neither is able to see, to whom be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He's not saying that Jesus isn't divine. In fact, when Jesus is called the King of kings and Lord of lords, it's a reference to his deity. What it's saying is that the Father has a plan and he's carrying it forth through his Son. And the privilege that you and I have is to go before the throne of grace, our Heavenly Father, in the name of his Son. The privilege you and I have is that we get to know the Father because the Son is our mediator to pave the way so that we could be in a relationship with Him. The way we conclude the great command that Timothy hold the line against opposition, the way we conclude the command to fight the good fight is with a doxology, a glory, a glorifying of God the Father who has sent His Son, who has given us the Holy Spirit, who has called us to an eternal relationship with Him that requires our engagement in His work. Dad, Abba, wants you to be part of his construction project. He doesn't want Timothy alone, or Paul, or Pastor Dave, or whoever to be part of his construction project. He wants all of us to be part of that work. We're his kids. It's his business. He wants you to work in the business. He's building it of you and for you. And it's a privilege to be part of that work. If you really get hold of the New Testament, if you really watch the way the Apostle Paul engages throughout his letters, the way we get discipleship in the Gospels, the way Acts portrays the spread of the Gospel, the the work of the Holy Spirit, if you really get hold of the way the New Testament is construed, you're not in need of me coming with my spiritual spatula to scrape you up and get to work. You need someone to hold you back and say, no, this is the way we do it. There's a a right way to engage. There's a right way for us to do the work. There are limits and constraints that God has presented. Beloved, don't be be that, (laughs) that person that's stuck on the griddle that we can't get you to the work. It's not our job to get you to the work. Don't, don't waste your life. Be like Timothy. Live your life in anticipation of the coming of Christ as you engage in the work that the Father has for you to do. And, and we know, and we know that God is going to reward you for that work according to the work you've done in the body, whether good or bad. Our Father, we bow our heads and close our eyes now before you to glorify you and thank you for the time we've been able to spend in your word this morning for the opportunity we've had to think about 
the mission you've given us. That We started to try to understand the Christian life of Paul in this study, and we've ended with an overwhelming need to be about your business, to be about your work as your son was and is, as the Apostle Paul of the Lord Jesus Christ was and is. Father, we recognize that there are heavy challenges to being about your word. One thing, we have to grow up spiritually. We have to get off of ourselves and think of you. We have to keep thinking above, about the things above where Christ is, seated at your right hand. Father, we have to stop making it about ourselves. But Father, we're weak and limited, and we need the joy of our salvation. We need the experience of, of the joy in the work. We need to see your work in our lives. We need to see that as we claim your promises, that you fulfill them. For example, Father, you told us that if we asked for wisdom, you would give it abundantly. So we beg for wisdom about how to work as a church family in making disciples. How can we work together, Father, whether it's in hospitality to those outside, in mercy and giving to those in need, always in the great mercy of giving them the gospel, of sharing Christ, of bearing witness for him. Father, how can we be about your work together? How can we be about your work individually? How can our households be about your work? We have these questions and these desires give us wisdom in these areas and make us strong. Father, I've been asking for this for Preston City Bible Church this whole time. And here we are, the conclusion toward the end of the life of Paul. And you've said there's one work many workers, all with different ways, different capabilities to work in this work. Father, let us be successful in it. We desperately need this success. You've given us this desperation. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning will be hymn number 608, God Be O Thou Great Jehovah. We will just sing the first verse. 608. If you find that in your hymnals, please, all stand with me. 608. I've got to show you Pastor Roseland's most used move uh, in the boxing ring. (laughs) I remember the profound words from my boxing coach. He said, Boyden, you're going to be good, but your nose is too big. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the last couple of hours. 
where we can come together in freedom and do the most important thing that we can do while still on this planet and in this life, and that is study your word and learn your word. We thank you for our pastor who spends hours preparing. We thank you for his uh, skills in extracting the truth from the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew. And now, Lord, as we leave this place today, we pray that we could moment by moment stay in fellowship and apply the word so that we can witness just by people watching us and realizing that we are different and we have something that they need. Thank you for all the Sunday school teachers downstairs training up our children. Uh, The Bible says if we train them up in the way they should go, when they are older, they will not depart from it. We thank you for the special time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.